Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. You know, knowing the details of what everyone's up to, you know, these things loom larger than they need to be. It's like, oh, why did you 
you know, by the latte at work, couldn't you just bring coffee? Like that probably doesn't matter too much. And, um, but some people think, you know, these are big deals. Uh, or maybe we have like different interests or passions and, uh, hobbies and we don't understand each other's worlds in that sense. Um, my wife is a needle pointer. Um, I have occasionally stumbled across invoices for what these things cost. It's not what I would have expected. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Hello there. Welcome back to the show. I am Shauna. This is Everyone's Talking Money. And I just wanted to give a big thanks to Tasha, who wrote this review for the show. She says, I love this podcast. It helped me seriously like money a lot more, and I can have conversations without freaking out. So many great episodes, and I always leave each episode knowing a bit more than I did before. So please don't stop. Tasha, thank you so much for this review. I'm so excited that you're a listener, and I always love when somebody gets something great out of each episode. I know not every episode is for everyone, but if you could just take away one thing from each episode, then I kind of consider it job well done. So if you've not left a review for the show, I would love, be honored to have you leave a review. You can add right to the link in the show notes, or you can leave a review in whatever podcast player you're listening to this episode in right now. All right. I want you to raise your hand. Are you a tightwad or a spendthrift in your relationship? I have to admit it, honestly, <laughs> I am mostly the tightwad. But don't get me wrong, I do love to spend money too. But get this, tightwads are more likely to marry spendthrifts than they are to marry someone like themselves. That's what motivated our guest, Scott Rick, a behavioral scientist at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, to write his new book, Tightwads and Spendthrifts, Navigating the Money Minefield in Real Relationships. So he was in search of one answer. Can seemingly opposing financial personalities coexist peacefully? It's a good question. In this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of it all. We're going to talk about how do you make peace with your partner? What is financial infidelity? Why financial translucency, aka not sharing all the details of what we spend our money on, could actually save a lot of partnerships? And how to talk to your kids about money so they don't mimic your tightwadness or your spendthriftness. So grab your partner or just slide this episode their way after you listen. It is a great way to open up a money conversation. All right, let's start. The talking. premise of your new book, it it revolves around this one question. What if I'm a tightwad and my significant other is a spendthrift? And we already know that it is just like a landmine when we're talking about couples and money and trying to, you know, manage money together. I think let alone if you're at, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum of of how you, you know, quote unquote do money. So I thought, like, let's just start here. How do I know if I am the tightwad or the spendthrift in my own relationship? Sure. No, uh, so we have a scale, a little questionnaire that people can fill out. I, I think most couples have a, a sense of how these things are going, but it can be, I think, useful to get it on paper and get some feedback and 
see where you stand relative to kind of thousands of people who have already completed the scale. And, um, you know, that can give some useful context uh, in the relationship. Uh, certainly, it, you know, I'm, I'm a spendthrift and I'm married to a tightwad. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, it helps to interpret some otherwise ambiguous behaviors, like some gifts from me to her or from her to me. And it's not just kind of a pure signal of how much we love each other or how much we understand about each other, but it's also kind of, oh, how comfortable you are or I am spending money and how we use money to express affection. And so it's, it's kind of a useful, like, oh yeah, that, that there's, you've got that going on. It's interesting as you're as you're talking I'm trying to think in my own marriage. I think it's it's weird like I have tendencies of being a tightwad and then tendencies of being a spendthrift. I think it like depends on the situation. I would I would kind of say the same thing about my husband. Interesting enough, we grew up in very different backgrounds and and money the relationship with money and how money was talked about dealt very different. Um I, you you say though that Tightwads and spendthrifts are more likely to marry one another than they are to marry someone like themselves. I find this hmm. like really interesting. Tell me about yes. this. You know, well, first I should mention that, you know, on our, our scale, <clears throat> I focus on the tightwads and spendthrifts. They're kind of the extreme ends of the distribution, but there's a middle ground of what we call unconflicted consumers. Uh, and it sounds like you and your husband might be there. Um and, you know, that's kind of a happy place to be where you, you're sometimes one, sometimes the other. They tend to be kind of happiest. Um, the, you know, they they kind of spend more or less what they think they should, whereas the tightwads are spending less than they think they should. Spendthrifts are spending more than they think they should. And both of those extremes are kind of conflicted um, in their right. approach to money. And when you have something about yourself that's kind of, bothersome or kind of um, some of your self-conscious about, you don't love to see that reflected in someone else. It shines like a really <laughs> uncomfortable spotlight on it. Um, and so you might initially be kind of repelled by people who have like your problem. Um, and so that's why we think at first it's kind of fun to be with someone who approaches money very differently. It's kind of fascinating and funny and charming. Um, but, you know, over time, it gets a little trickier once you get into, like, bigger decisions. You know, when you move from dating to uh, where to live and where the kids go to school and should we remodel. And now those differences that were kind of charming and fun are, like, uh, a little... <laughs> really annoying. Yeah, really yeah. annoying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, hence, like, the conflict, right, that that comes up. And you're like, I used to find you really charming, and now you're what just happened? annoying yes. me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so can, can these two, like, polar opposite type people, can they coexist in, like, a really financially peaceful environment? Or, like, how do they get to that place? Sure. Well, part of it is, over time, you kind of can fix each other a bit and kind of move towards uh, the center. And we see that relationships that do kind of survive over time, you do see a little movement, some convergence over time. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, You know, the couples where you don't converge, you know, you see a lot of fighting or 
they're not a couple anymore. You know, <laughs> they kind of fall out of the sample, scientifically speaking. But um, so there's that. Uh, but, you know, there's also kind of how money moves in the household and what we know about our partner and how they use money. And I do think account structure can be a way to kind of minimize unnecessary friction over money. So the the structure that I love, and I have some research to support this, is like all incoming money gets laundered through a joint account. Uh, so it's all our money. Um, there's no kind of yours and mine. It's, it's just all ours. Uh, but then we each have a separate account attached to that joint account. Um, and so, you know, we each can take from the joint account as needed. Maybe that's on a schedule. We agree like, Oh, we each get X per month. Um, so we each get a little piece of our money to spend kind of without close monitoring. Um, Cause you know, knowing the details of what everyone's up to, you know, these things loom larger than they need to be. It's like, Oh, why did you, you know, buy the latte at work? Couldn't you just bring <laughs> coffee? Like, it right. probably doesn't matter too much. And, um, but some people think, you know, these are big deals. Uh, or maybe we have like different interests or passions and uh, hobbies and we don't understand each other's worlds in that sense. Um, my wife is a needle pointer. Um, I have occasionally stumbled across invoices for what these things cost. It's not what I would have expected, right? It's, <laughs> right. um, but whenever you're not like an expert in something, you can't tell the difference between like the good or bad version of it. Like if I know nothing about art, it's like an art print is going to look like, I don't know, is that the real thing? So we don't have the the expertise to kind of judge each other's spending. So as long as we can kind of keep it within some agreed upon general number, I think the details are just unhelpful. Um so it's, you know, you hear a lot about financial transparency within relationships. I, I say, well, how about financial translucency? Like it's, you, you get a sense, but the details, they're available upon request and hopefully the requests are few and far between. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I came up with this idea a few years ago when I was a practicing financial planner and I worked with a lot of couples and it was more of, I was more of a therapist than I was actually, you know, helping them with their money. And so I really got firsthand knowledge of the behavioral side of money and the relationship with money and and how much about money and and uh, how we interact with money and certainly how we do it in relationship uh we we just don't understand because we don't spend time like exploring well how did i grow up and what patterns am i mimicking and you know what generational traumas kind of come through and like all of these big things that play at this this big role and I was working with a couple and I, I came up with this idea of, I, I called it a don't ask, don't mm. tell spending limit. And so it was this dollar amount that you could you could agree on that each other could spend up to that amount. And there were no questions. There were no judgment. Like there was just nothing, you know, and I, I like what you're saying here because this this idea of translucency is like, okay, I have I have an idea, but you also have some sort of free reign to 
to spend money and and maybe that can create like a like a healthy you know coexistence i think so i think so and you can build in i think you can build in um some guardrails i i think the first step is like oh let's um you know i i have a sense that we've been pulling stuff out of the joint account maybe more than we planned on can we do some self audits um all I need to hear from you is that you did it. I kind of trust you to look look over your numbers, and if you see something's amiss, uh, you know I trust you to kind of address that. Now you're always free to say, "I'd love to get another pair of eyes on this and invite someone in," and that's great, and we should do that as desired. But the the default, I think, is we have some autonomy, some individuality that we get to maintain a little privacy. Um, whereas yes, I just, we need to know kind of the big number, but not the components. Yeah. Where do you think like some of the, uh, the landmines exist like with couples that don't set up kind of these, these boundaries and guardrails and, and have these conversations? Is it, is it largely because we don't maybe understand our own thoughts and feelings around money. And so we bring them into a relationship and we start projecting things like judgment and shame and all of these things that like, you know, we're not comfortable with ourselves. And then it just creates like an even bigger eruption in a relationship. Yeah, no, I I think uh, eruptions in romantic relationships and just any interpersonal relationships kind of not kind of understanding where you're coming from and why and, um, I, I do think that's a useful exercise. Um, you know, filling out a, a scale is like one version of that. Um, you know, as I'm sure you've discovered over the years, like talking with trained um, professionals is also kind of a useful thing to do to to explore that. And um, but no, it, it's helped kind of uh, again, just kind of knowing where we're coming from. And, um, you know, given how you react to um, money and anxieties around money, I know how you'll interpret this question, or I have a sense of how you'll interpret it, or this gift or suggestion. So it it really does help to kind of um, navigate that minefield. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, it takes a lot of learning and curiosity about kind of, um, your partner. That that's one of the things I mentioned in the book, like you might feel like you really know each other. Um, (laughs) but you know, if you audit like recent conversations, like if you just kind of recorded what you've been talking about, a lot of it's going to be, Oh, who's taking the kid to soccer practice. And like a lot of like immediately practical things, but not really like delving into their psychological world, which is really important. So so speaking about that, you are a behavioral scientist. And I love that the book is written from that perspective, because that's that's certainly my jam. One of the things Mm -hmm. that you argue kind of along this line is that we're more likely to mimic the behavior we see our parents do versus what they say about money. I, I, I love this idea. Like, how does this influence our like current spending you know how did whatever our parents did how does that influence us now yeah well it, yeah it depends on when your now is i i don't think we come out as like 
young adults um, looking and acting just like our parents. But as we start to age and confront some of the similar choices that they confronted, I think we do start to kind of mimic more of what we saw. So eventually you do see kind of kids somewhat churning into their parents um, on, on money. That's scary, Scott. (laughs) I know. I know. And and, and this was like a useful um, thing for me to research because I have three young kids, three young boys and very, you know, impressionable. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily want them to be a spendthrift to the degree that I am. Uh, You know, I want them to enjoy life, but maybe, you know, be careful out there. Um, So I'll tell them things Um, like, maybe we don't need to spend that money just yet. Hold on, hold on. Um, But then they'll see me do stuff. And uh, that may be very much at odds with um, what I'm telling them. Uh, You know, if I'm telling them to hold on to the gift money from grandma, and then I just like buy the new iPhone for myself when I already have a perfectly fine one, you know, that, that gets muddled. Um, but yeah, so what we see is that the, the, what they see you doing is a much better predictor of what they end up doing than kind of what they hear. Um, but what, yeah, what they're hearing is usually, you know, these extremes are kind of saying, well, don't be like me, do as I say, not as I do, but they often do as you do. How do you do that research? <laughs> like how, how do you find out, you know, these, these mm. kind of like trends? Yeah. So, well, one interesting method is uh, we bring parents and kids into a a lab and like a real kind of, it feels like a living room. And we give them like money scenarios to talk through, um, just like where it's not clear what these characters should do. And, um, you know, the kid says, oh, maybe this character should keep their money and not buy the toy. And the parent will say, it's okay to buy a little toy or you know, we, we see kind of how the parents respond to the kids and we see kind of the extremes kind of suggesting you don't have to be as extreme as me. Mm, Um, yeah. So they're kind of reeling in their kids a little bit. Um, but how the kid ends up behaving, like if we let them loose in a little laboratory store, um, and give them money to buy toys, it's, it's much closer to kind of how the parent behaves than how the parent verbally guides them. Okay. So kind of knowing this perspective, then if we have kids or let's say we're we're getting ready to have a kid, mm-hmm. how do we talk to our kids about money? And and you know, I, you know, I, I think, you know, how do we teach them about money knowing that like our complexity with money is like so complicated it, just itself? Yes, layers upon layers. Um Yeah, no, it's, you know, one thing it's helped me to recognize is like, oh, they don't kind of arrive on the planet kind of knowing what that credit card means and kind of, um, you know, that just seems like a free uh, gift card to them. And um, so kind of spelling out, well, what this means is I do this because, of course, you keep in mind that later I'll have to pay money to this bank. And um, so I try to, you know, get those kind of basic financial literacy things. Um, and, and they enjoy talking about that and learning about that. Um, and, you know, I, 
even if something is not really painful for me to spend the money on, because I am a spendthrift, I might kind of act, perform some pain <laughs> just to um, <laughs> make them think it's not like a hot knife through butter for me. Like, oh, oh I don't know. Um, okay, right. There's, and a, little, then there's a little drama, while, right? <laughs> a little, yeah. I'll just, I think like, what would my wife do? Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll say what she would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. And then occasionally I'll be like, oh, maybe I don't have to buy that thing that I would just normally buy on my own. Um, or maybe this can be an online purchase after they go to bed. Like they, you know, there are things that they don't need to see every single thing. But um, yeah, it's just kind of being mindful that they will. Um, it's not just kind of the explicit suggestions that they're going to pick up. It's really kind right. of um, a true mimicry that. Is, is waiting to happen there. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-T-M for your extended 30-day free trial. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work, and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. 
when you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. All right, Scott, so we're going to play your relationship with money is game. So question number one, if you had to describe your relationship to money as a cartoon character, who would it be? It's tough. It would, I think it would certainly be someone from the Looney Tunes universe. Um, I, you know, as a spendthrift, I kind of uh, feel like Tweety Bird, like, um, you know, he kind of gets himself in trouble, like Sylvester often grabs him, but you know, more or less, it, there's usually a happy ending. So I'm, uh, I haven't yet been kind of eaten by the metaphorical Sylvester, but, um, and you know, the Tweety Bird seems to have kind of a fun swing in life, and um, you know, as a spendthrift, that's where I like to dance, like a little risky, a little fun. Um, have to get out of some jams every now and then, but I, I think that's me. <laughs> All right, question number two: What first thought? comes to mind when you think about money? Yeah. The, the first feeling um, is probably some anxiety, um, but mild. Um, but it's more about um, situations involving money. Uh, oh, there's, uh, we got to close on our loan for the remodel. We got to um, figure out a way to pay for um, you know, my mom recently moved to town. Like there were some decisions that had to be made there. And so it's, it's more anxiety around kind of just like taxing money involved decisions. Um, yeah, but mild, I think. All right. Question number three, if you had an endless supply of money, what's the first thing you would spend it on? Well, you know, I do love to 
dazzle the children. So I would, um, you know, they're into baseball cards and they've gotten me back into it. So I, I certainly, they would get like autographs from their favorite people. And <laughs> if not just flying to the right. games, to be in the front row, um, probably in that neighborhood. All right. Last question. What is one money secret you have that maybe you haven't shared very often? In writing the book, I think I kind of explored some, some of the past, some of my past. And, um, you know, I grew up in Houston, but a lot of my time was spent in Vegas. Um, my grandparents lived with us in Houston and they kind of got bored and they said, we love you, but we're moving to Vegas. And that was kind of sad, but we were like, oh, we get to visit. And so I spent a lot of summers as a youth, just like hanging out in casinos and it's pretty fun. Um, I looked older than I was, which was fun. Then it's, it's less fun now, but um, so I didn't get too much trouble from the security guards. Um, But it was a very interesting uh, look at like non-optimal financial decisions, let's say. Um, And not, you know, some of them were bad, but they weren't terrible. Um, so it was an interesting, you know, daily exposure to this balancing of financial and psychological well-being, um, that I, I feel like I've kind of carried that desire for balance into my adult life. Um, and yeah, sometimes you see people who seem to be kind of too high on one or the other, but I try, I strive for a balance, uh, from my Vegas childhood. I'm sorry, but I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a mini golden mountain doodle full of life, and I would do just about anything to keep her happy, healthy, and safe. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of your family and you want to do the best for them, but vet bills can really add up. We jokingly keep telling Winnie she needs to get a job to pay for her vet bill. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customized accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping to ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independent American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer, is not engaged in the business of insurance. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. 
When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I've read a lot of articles. Um, I've done a lot of talking about money trauma, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm a certified trauma of money specialist. And, you know, I think that there's a a lot of research that still needs to be kind of done in that area. And, you know, there isn't a specific diagnosis like there is, you know, PTSD Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, But, you know, one of the things that um, I learned that I really think has a kind of great importance is, when your parents didn't talk at all about like the things that they didn't say, you were still picking up cues and um, you were developing this kind of unconscious relationship or relatability to money that you didn't even know was there. So sometimes we talk about it like, what did our parents, you know, say or do? But what if there was like a void of all of that, but you still, you know, picked up some sort of trauma or response? I don't know. It's so fascinating to me. Like it's it's very, very layered, like an onion kind of peeling back. But I think it's it's really interesting. Yes, very much. Uh, and so, yeah, I try to debrief them on, on some items um, because you know we're we're exposed to a lot of inequality in in both ways and. Um, you know, it's it's hard for them to wrap their mind around. It's like, why can't we do what this other family did? And um, yeah, it's uh, you know, we can't explain every single choice that affects their economic lives, but we do try to um, just tell them kind of the mechanics of the system and helping them understand the world that they live in. It's uh, very tricky. Yes. Yeah. If you can, if you can explain that, I would, I would love to have you over to explain yeah, it to me. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So couples, so we have these different um, sort of spending habits. Are there things that we should be talking about like ahead of conflict? Like, should we spend more time talking about our thoughts and feelings around money or what's kind of really going on? Versus just, you know, you know, I'm blowing up because you're spending, you know, 150 bucks at Target every week. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, first step is, um, do I need to know how much you're spending at Target? Um, <laughs> but, um, and of course, what does it mean to spend X dollars at this place? Like, do I need to see the receipts? Like, it could mean so many different things. Um but again, as we discussed, like having those um, 
kind of uh, private individual accounts, um, seeing things at a high level. Uh, but no, it kind of getting to know um, what is on your partner's mind, what is stressing them out, what is um, kind of what are they looking forward to, what are they dreading. Um, these are useful things to explore. Um, and um, and just and keeping in mind also that a lot of us kind of overweight the small stuff. Um, so yes, maybe it was a mistake to have bought that indulgence, uh, whatever the, the item is. But in the grand scheme of things, um, that's probably not the difference between kind of wealth and not wealth. It's there are bigger systematic factors at play there. And um, so that, that kind of like deprogramming is, is also just helpful. <laughs> to, yeah. So there's also something interesting. We talked about that idea of financial translucency. You talk also about financial infidelity and that it, this has been used, you say like far too broadly in covering kind of harmless behaviors and that, you know, spending that's, we talked about spending that's out in the open is usually what gets couples in trouble. So tell me a little bit about like, what actually is financial infidelity hmm. then? Well, as far as I can tell, um, any behavior that falls short of complete proactive transparency is considered by many to be financial infidelity. Um, so one example um, from a pretty popular personal finance website, uh, I saw this and kind of stopped me in my tracks. So um, you go to the store, you go to a grocery store, you spend $100 on groceries, uh, you pay with debit card, and you withdraw $20 in cash on top of that. Um, and you don't tell me that. Mm. So if I see the bank activity, I'll see, oh, you spent $120 on groceries. I won't know that you had a little $20 spending spree. Um, and so the fact that you didn't disclose that is financial infidelity. Ah. To me, that seems kind of unduly strict. Um, I think for many of us, I don't care if you withdraw money and <laughs> don't tell me about it. Um, you know, things like, oh, um, does your spouse kind of tell you how much they're spending on gifts for friends or family. Um, I mean, I, I don't tell this to my wife. She doesn't tell me. I, I don't care. Um, I, I hope she does get her friends and family nice gifts. My goodness. <laughs> um, you know, so th there are just um, things that we don't need to know. And so I think a lot of innocent, uh, perfectly functional behaviors are being label as financial infidelity. And, um, you know, I can understand why it gets a lot of attention and, um, but I don't know, it seems a little overblown to me. Um, now, I, of course there are acts of truly deceptive financial behavior, uh, secret addictions, uh, affairs. I mean, these are, um, big problems. I, I'm not sure they're financial problems. I, they involve money, but um, they're not for someone like me to solve. I mean, you need uh, counseling and treatment, and um, I'm not sure 
uh, you know, a different account structure is going to solve right, that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, as you note, I, I really think it's like the, the unaffordable mortgage we both chose to enter into that's more likely to sink us than, you know, these little undisclosed financial decisions, um, you know, uh, moving to the wrong city when you don't have the income for it and um, sending the kids to private school when that's not affordable. It's those are the, the big ticket things that can really do yen. You, you put together this whole book. We've talked about so many different pieces of this, but I'm wondering like, what are some of the biggest like ahas that you took away from, from all the research and kind of putting together this idea of, you know, managing money in a relationship? Yeah, no, I, I think I, um, certainly, um, the account structure insights were kind of a useful, um, aha moment. I'll call it a moment. It's kind of the result of like years of research kind of building to it, but, um, that, that has been quite useful. Um, certainly the children aspect, um, was a wake up call. Um, I do think through this process, I've learned to be a better gift giver, um, which, you know, might not sound like such a big deal, but it's like, these are big moments. There's a lot of them. If you're like a married parent in the United States, like you've got five or six locked in times per year where you need to produce a pretty good gift. Um, and you know, there's a lot of advice out there like, oh, just ask them what they want uh, and get that. Uh, sure. I mean, it's very risk averse, I think. Uh, I mean, I guess it's meant to avoid a disaster like, oh, here's a new ironing board or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I, I think my interpretation of kind of people's stories and the research is that it's really about kind of understanding your partner and uh, using this as an opportunity to kind of express that understanding and the appreciation that sometimes we're just too shy or tired to do verbally. Like we're more likely to appreciate our partners than to tell them mm, yeah. how much we appreciate them or why it might just seem again, if we're having a conversation about very practical things and who's going to take the dog for a walk and like all these things, um, you know, it might feel too weird to bring up like, you know, these qualities that we admire about them. And it's just like, okay, well, let's get back to the uh, grocery order here. <laughs> right. um, so, so yeah, these are the big moments for, for a lot of us. And I think it's, it's essential that we kind of be curious, take time to learn. Um, about each other, ask each other questions. I suggest some in the book. Um, there are questions that have been proposed for like strangers to like become really close within like an hour. But I say like, even in a marriage, you could use a refresher on some of this stuff. <laughs> right. Like, do I know like, oh, who my spouse would love, if they could have anyone over for dinner, who would it be? Like, I don't know. Um, but like hearing who they would pick, it's like, okay, interesting. Why would you pick that? Oh, you're thinking about, okay, that's good to know. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, that's been an essential insight. Has it helped your um, own relationship as you're 
kind of going through this and like trying to see s- this stuff from like another perspective too. Yeah, no, because I, I used to be really bad. I'm less bad now, but I used to be really bad. Um, yeah, like I, I tell one story in the book about um, early in the marriage, I knew she liked Kate Spade. And so it's like, okay, well, I'll get her something from there. Um, you know, I, I knew she had other accessories. I was like, oh, I'll get her a handbag. And um, so I went to the place and I saw things that kind of looked like what she already had. And any one of those would have been fine. Uh, but then I saw this like really gold, glittery, over the top. Like if I'm if I wore purses, that would be my purse. I, I like like a loud accessory, <laughs> uh, a fun sneaker, like things like that. And it was like way more expensive than the others. And I thought that is, that's love. That is, I'm going to wow her with that. And um, that's not her. It's just not her. And, and so we were with her family on that Christmas and she opened it in front of them. And this was in Pittsburgh or her, her close family's from Pittsburgh and they're like real Pittsburghers. Like they're not like, they're going to say not it, fancy. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, they're perfectly lovely, but they're, yeah. And she opened it and it was just silence. Just, you could hear the tumbleweeds and the, <laughs> um, it was just so clear that I had laid, uh, an egg and not a good egg. And, her dad was like, Oh, you going to wear that down at the Kroger's? Like, um, yeah, it was just so clearly expressing a misunderstanding of Julie, my wife. And, um, yeah. And so that, that hurt her that really, and I thought, Oh, uh, I'll spend extra to show extra love, but it was actually just a big negative. Um, so that was quickly returned. <laughs> I would that imagine, back, right? That was back before New right. Year's. Um, but yeah, it's uh, as a spendthrift, my inclination is to spend to show affection. But a good gift requires sacrifice, I think. And spending for someone like me is no, it's no sacrifice. I do it all the time. If I want to sacrifice, I need to do some legwork. I need to plan something or track down um, some merch from a band she likes or, you know, a playbill from some show that she enjoyed. Like, got to put in the effort. Her, on the other hand, if she buys me something expensive and, you know, something that I like, of course, but that's a real gesture. Like, I know it hurts her. Right. She had to like, let go of that is, money. Yes. And so for her, to me, that's, that means something. Um, so we have to demonstrate our sacrifice kind of based on kind of what we know about each other. And um, so that, that has been very useful to kind of think through. So, you know, we're up on this time, like end of the year, beginning of the year, kind of starting where people are thinking a lot about money and goals and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, if we're if we're in a relationship and we're either the tightwad or the spendthrift, like how do you suggest, you know, th- this time of year, how do we come together? How do we embrace spending and and really I think do it from more of a, you know, sort of partnership aspect? Yeah. So, um certainly when we're 
jointly spending on others like kids or our parents. Um, you know, that that's great to do together. Um, certainly I should not be left to my own devices to buy the gifts for the kids. Cause I'll go overboard. <laughs> and so it's, it's a good, you know, she's my wife. She helps me kind of control myself, but, and I kind of help her loosen up a little bit. And um, so hopefully couples can embrace that. And, um, you know, recognize that there are some productive disagreements that can happen. And, um, but again, with the new year coming up, I mean, that is a perfect time for a fresh start and, um, a lot of behavioral science suggesting that these can be crucial moments to kind of fine tune your habits and approach to things. And, you know, I have a chapter in the book about how you can kind of take steps to loosen up as a tight wad or to reel yourself in as a spendthrift. And, um, it's all kind of turning up or down the dial of how much attention you're paying to money, leaving your possession when you're spending. So like, you know, I'm a spendthrift, but when I was in grad school, you know, money was extremely tight. Um, so I really had to like ratchet up my own pain around spending. And so I would only spend in cash and I would, kind of train myself when I go to the ATM, that was a painful moment because the account got lower. And then when I would spend the cash, the wallet got lower. So that was like double pain. Um, You know, I'm not sure that's like a recipe for happiness, but just to get through a rough time, I was able to dial up the, the distress. Um, And if you're a tightwad, I think there are ways to dial it down. Um, You know, looking at things in terms of investments um, you know, sometimes, uh, other people can help you reframe a, a purchase or a decision as an investment. That kind of thinking helps a tightwad, um, getting kind of outside objective feedback on your financial situation. Like you can convince yourself like, oh, I'm going broke or, you know, sometimes hopefully not too often, but sometimes that can be true, but it can also help to kind of get someone else to say, oh, you look pretty good to me. Um, loosen up. You're okay. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, uh, new year is a great time to reset. I love this idea of financial translucency, right? Like not sharing all the details of what you spend your money on. I think it could really save so many partnerships, relationships out there. And like Scott was saying, we're not saying you should lie to your partner, but you shouldn't have to justify every little thing that you buy. I shared this in the episode, but I think it's a great idea to to set this limit, this amount of money that you can spend without questions, without shame, without judgment. Any amount over that, yeah, you got to have a little conversation. But I, I think it's just a really healthy way to set up your money partnership so that there is still some freedom. But of course, there are you know some boundaries around there. It just it takes a little practice. If you want to grab a copy of Scott's book, Tightwad in Spendthrifts, it releases in early January, so you can go right now and pre-order it everywhere books are sold. If you enjoyed this episode, send it right now to your partner or to friends who are partners and tell them, all right, you got to listen to this on Tightwads and Spendthrifts. It is going to literally change your relationship. Hey, and I also want to give a big shout out to all of the sponsors for this episode who make this show possible. You can head right to the show notes to get all the links and all of the information that we talked about. 
I will see you back here, my friends, in a few days for a brand new episode. <laughs>